<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. <laughs> I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again because it's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie, too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win Best Picture. Oh, Pick God, Pick. I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we're doing another double feature. But you might want to hold off on that extra large popcorn, at least for our first film. (laughs) One that has enormous hype going into Oscar season, particularly for its lead performance. Our second film invites you to eat the popcorn. Just eat it, because every second counts when faced with the inevitability of death. (laughs) But before we talk movie to you, we got to thank our Patreon subscribers. Your support helps us bring you these episodes each week. And this one is pretty spectacular milestone for us. It's actually our 175th episode. Oh my god, really? Yeah. Aw, that's cool. (laughs) I didn't know that. Isn't that awesome? Wow. So thank you to all of you listeners. We truly appreciate you trusting us to be your source for film talk. Now, to the movies. First up, we have the latest from provocateur filmmaker Darren Aronofsky, whose last film, Mother, we covered way back in the very first season of this podcast, approximately 168 episodes ago. Oh my god. (laughs) Uh, The screenplay is written by Samuel Hunter, based off of his 2012 play of the same name. The Whale stars Brendan Fraser in what pretty much everyone is calling the performance of his career. He plays Charlie, a reclusive 600-pound gay man who teaches English classes remotely from his apartment. His best friend Liz, played by Hong Chao, is a nurse and is also his deceased lover's sister. One day, she tells him that he has congestive heart failure and will die in a matter of days unless he seeks medical care. After getting this news, Charlie attempts to reconnect with his 16-year-old daughter, Ellie. That's Sadie Sink. But Ellie hasn't seen him in eight years, since he left her mom, Mary, for one of his students, a man named Alan. So Ellie is not so keen to reconnect, and she's carrying all kinds of anger and resentment from being abandoned. The whale asks a question. In a life that's burdened under the weight of trauma, loss, and grief, how does one find a path to redemption? Hmm. First impression, Helen. Yeah, I saw this movie yesterday at the Varsity Cineplex. I walked mm-hmm. into the theater and it was hot. I'm jealous because I am frozen to my core. It, the theater was hot? <laughs> yes. So oh. I have never gone to the movies and been hot in my life. Yeah, it's, there, it's usually glacial. It's always cold. And I thought, this is going to fix itself. Like, it won't be like this the whole time. It was like that the whole time. I was sweating. Really? That yeah. must have added a unique dynamic to this particular <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah. And I actually asked someone when I walked out, I was like, it was so hot in there. And they said the air conditioner was broken and they were trying to fix it. So, wow. yeah. So that was really what I was feeling in the beginning of this movie. But in terms of the actual film, the essentially first, well, like technically second scene of this movie is Brendan Fraser, like furiously masturbating to gay porn when a like uh, missionary walks and knocks on his door and comes in and tries to save him. And then he like <laughs> almost has a heart attack. And I just thought, what a funny absurd way to open 
a film slash play and mm-hmm. and it it's one of those things that like that what a great way to open a play like yeah. that's that just gets people's attention immediately it's different on film but I just thought wow that you would never think those all those things would come together <laughs> in an opening scene so I was pretty hooked from the beginning Sinclair yeah well first impression uh for me I have this movie really jerks you right out of your seat (laughs) 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 really really does uh and yeah he is obviously masturbating to gay porn so you already know that about this character from the start but I did find it to be a really awkward opening because all of the trailers that we've seen for this film are very emotional to mm-hmm. the point of being like a bit weepy. Mm-hmm. So when the movie starts and this is the mm-hmm. first thing you see, <laughs> it kind of throws you off, off balance a bit because it's not at all what you're expecting to open this film. Mm-hmm. So I was a bit confused about the tone of this film and where this was going to go from the beginning. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I was going into this knowing v- honestly very little about the film. Mm-hmm. I knew, of course, that Brendan Fraser was getting all kinds of accolades about it, but I didn't I, even know really what the story was about at all. I didn't even know that it was based off of a play. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly didn't know that the character was gay. And... Mm-hmm. The it opens the very first thing that opens is we're seeing this like Zoom classroom and yeah. and there's a little you know square in the middle of the of it where clearly the camera is turned off and that's the instructor and so we're hearing him give this lecture and I thought that was interesting we've all been there and it it kind of gives you tells you a little bit about the character right off the bat maybe they're ashamed of how they look or whatever and then to cut to that scene. Yeah, it was completely absurd, but it's also (laughs) Darren Aronofsky. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is going to be, it's going to be jarring in some capacities, Mm -hmm. right? But I also found, I appreciated, like, I thought it was funny. I appreciated there was Mm -hmm. comedy right off the top and I was hooked right away. Yeah. So yeah, this is based off of a play, as you said, by Samuel D. Hunter, which I read this afternoon. Mm. Interesting. The film stays very true to the source material, like almost word Word for for word, word. scene for scene. Mm -hmm. It's which I really appreciated because oftentimes stage to screen adaptations are, you know, they try to do too much with it or like, how do we make this fit film? And and it it stays very, very true. There's a few differences that I can maybe get into in storytelling, but uh, it's funny, you know, you mentioning oh it's Darren Aronofsky it's gonna be jarring and it's that's just how the play's written like Mm. it's not even really that he's done anything to make it more so like this is the source material it's It's probably part of why he was drawn to it yeah 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 Mm -hmm. but I will say as as far as stage to screen adaptations I didn't know until after Mm -hmm. that this was that Uh, me neither when I heard it I was like oh yeah that totally makes sense Mm -hmm. but I would never spent a single moment in this film thinking, oh, this looks like a play. Yeah. Yeah. I Same thing for me. I didn't know it was a play. I knew it was based off of source material, and I, for some reason I thought it was a novel. Mm. But as I was watching it, I was like, this either must have been a play or it should be a play because it's one location, 
and it's just people coming in and out to visit this one person like yeah. it's per- it's a perfect setting for a play yeah um mm-hmm. and then of course that is what it is i did know this was a play going into it and i was looking to see if this felt like a play right. <laughs> from the beginning um and i honestly felt like the character of Charlie, when we spend time with him and it's his dialogue, those moments don't feel like a play. Mm. The one room setting didn't even necessarily feel like a play to me. Um, I think there were certain story elements that started to feel a bit stagey. Mm -hmm. But there was one thing that stood out that is obvious that it came from a play and that's character entrances and exits. Right. (laughs) And this drives me crazy. Really? Truly. Yes. And I think it works on stage, but like Mm -hmm. when it's in a film, it is very jarring and it feels stagey. And, And what I mean by character entrances is characters will just walk into the room. No knock, no phone call. They walk in (laughs) And they are already at home. Like they're already in someone's fridge. They're already fixing themselves a drink. And it didn't matter which character it was. Any character that stepped into this man's home was a stage entrance, in my opinion. Even the daughter comes in and she she doesn't even visit her dad. And she's already fixing herself some cereal in the kitchen. Like it's stuff like that where I go, okay, then that's it. That's Mm. where it's a play. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so that stood out to me for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my pet peeves. That's funny. People <laughs> knock. People knock. People call ahead. There's some, and they're already like in mid sentence. Like they're already yeah. in mid conversation when they come into the room. So well, that to me is very jarring. It's very stagey. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we get into the storytelling? Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, this, this movie tackles a lot of themes. You know, we've got religious oppression and grief and and how that can manifest in your life and mm-hmm. you know our our main character is morbidly obese he's eating himself to death literally um, yes literally mm-hmm. and the fact that he is 600 pounds and his body in this movie i had kind of complicated feelings about and it took me sort of all afternoon <laughs> today mm-hmm. a day later to sort of figure out how I was feeling about that and and um reconcile if it if I felt the movie did a good or bad job with that in particular because there's a part of me that doesn't you know I don't want to see fat bodies in a negative way anymore like there's been so much of that in our society and I you know particularly recently have listened I listened to a podcast about myths about obesity and how Mm -hmm. um, just we should be embracing fat bodies and seeing more fat bodies. And someone who is fat is not necessarily unhealthy and necessarily unhappy in their body. And so there were things about this movie where I felt like this icky feeling of like, no, I don't want that that projected from this. Mm -hmm. But then I took a step back and I was like, it's different. Mm -hmm. His situation in this movie is different. Mm-hmm. He is actively destroying his body. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's intentional. Yeah. And 
and so when I kind of accepted that that's what it was that was going on, I was able to feel okay, I think, about his body and how it's portrayed in this movie. But I did feel a little bit complicated about it. Well, yeah. I'll say too, same. Like, I will say the last time, I cannot remember the last time I left a film genuinely being like, I have no idea how I feel about this movie. Right. I was like, is this brilliant? Is it like, incre- I was incredibly deeply moved throughout. Yeah. I was like, is this, mm-hmm. is, is this super empathetic? Is it exploitative? And at times it did feel like it. Right. You know, the, the the fat suit, the prosthetics, the way that the score crescendoed when he yeah. first stands up yeah. and he struggles to walk. He's a spectacle. He's made right. to be a spectacle. His body is made to be a spectacle. Uh, it's like he's a circus freak. Like, right. look, the 600-pound man. Yeah. Or like literally like that TV show, My 600-Pound Life. Right. Mm-hmm. But giving us that moment of spectacle, treating yeah. Charlie's body in the way that really our society does mm-hmm. view mm-hmm. these bodies, I sort of like holding a mirror to us and yeah. forcing us to deal with how uncomfortable we feel yeah. when we see these bodies yeah. that are really divergent from the norm and they make us uncomfortable as a society mm-hmm. it was whether somebody who's emaciated or someone who's right. seven and a half feet tall or someone who's incredibly obese or whatever and i often think society doesn't sh- see humanity in right. these people but this film does mm-hmm. in my opinion the character of charlie is handled in a very empathetic manner we really see him as a full human mm-hmm. po- incredibly positive qualities but also selfish and destructive and all of this we care for him and root for him yeah and so it humanizes this man the f- i think the film co- wants us to feel aware of and, and maybe even ashamed of our own discomfort at yeah. seeing his body yeah and that's like the conclusion i came to today was like i this was intentional mm-hmm. they're forcing us to reflect on how we feel about it instead of just perpetuating an idea Mm-hmm. Um and and then I came back I stepped away and was like okay I feel okay about it <laughs> mm-hmm. but it was hard for me to grapple with how how what did you think Sinclair I don't think that the main theme in this is obesity at no, all I yeah. think it's self destruction yes and I think the biggest takeaway from this movie is how we feel when we come across somebody we can't save yeah. And can you save yourself? And what does it feel like to be up against a person who is Mm self-destructive? And it does feel like you're up up against a brick wall. And it is really hard to watch someone you love be Mm self-destructive. And these are themes that Darren Aronofsky always focuses on. We have drug addicts in Requiem for a Dream. Dream. We have, Mm -hmm. you know, a former wrestler fighting with his demons and his self-annihilation. We have a ballet dancer obsessed with perfection and being the best and driving herself insane. Then we have the destruction of Mother Earth. It is... Mm a focus on self-annihilation. That's what Mm -hmm. he does in his films. And I think that there is this criticism when it comes to Darren Aronofsky, and especially with this movie, that it's, you know, basically making us sit there and watch this overweight person gorging on food and that he's making this a spectacle. And that idea does make us uncomfortable that we would watch this person as a spectacle. The thing is, is that the focus isn't just on obesity. He actually does yeah. this in every single one of his films. This yeah. isn't an idea that, it you know, it's not like he just randomly chose obesity. This is a common thread throughout his filmography. Like, think about the way Ellen Burstyn ends up. Of course. Mm-hmm. 
but I uh, also feel like this this character of Charlie, it, like this is, I feel like the tenderest, mm, if you can, yes. if you can mm. use such an adjective, um, of all of his films. Like he's, he's so gentle. He's really treating oh. this character with, um, yeah, with this empathy that we don't see in a lot in almost all of those mm-hmm. other films. Well, yeah, and I think that it might be a matter of people also not trusting Darinovsky as a director who would give the right kind of empathy or respect to someone who is obese. I feel like he isn't for everyone. He's not fully trusted by audiences Mm -hmm. because he can be very pretentious. He is ego driven at times. So people might feel a little bit uncomfortable with this subject matter being in his hands. Mm -hmm. Um, but it totally makes sense why he would choose to do this film. And I think that the empathy that you are feeling might come from the play as well, having that other person adapt it with him whose play mm-hmm. it's based mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, this this is, like I said, so true to the play. Mm-hmm. All of that is in the play. This character is like that in the play incredibly mm-hmm. empathetic yeah. obviously a director has to bring it to to the screen and do it successfully which i think that he did um but yeah as i was i was watching this movie i thought to myself he could be a drug addict you know this could mm-hmm. be any sort of self-destruction 100%. or addiction right mm-hmm. it happens to be binge eating disorder and obesity um but i do actually i think there is an interesting choice in that because it's not tackled very often and because there is a certain you know like glamour or rock and rollness to drugs mm-hmm. right there's no glamour or being in, an artist right mm-hmm. but there's yeah. no glamour in obesity yeah right and it's it's really something that like we've said it makes us uncomfortable and and so i think that it it gives it a, a different feeling or a more deep feeling that it is this um issue mm-hmm. or and a lot and of I his think- other characters have this like descent into mm-hmm. madness where the difference with charlie is that he manages to keep his optimism yeah so yeah. it's you know a lot of his other films do end in the same way you see mickey rourke jump yeah. in the ring like a swan song same thing with natalie portman mm-hmm. and <laughs> this one ends the same way but differently way more yeah. hopeful it, it, it feels strange at the end. Well, because he the, Charlie doesn't have a shred of cynicism to him. Mm-hmm. There's not an ounce of it in that character, even though he and this is not to say that he's like a perfect character. He's incredibly selfish. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. and I would also argue that even at the very, very end, how he decided to just die instead of calling an ambulance and trying to spend a mm-hmm. live to build a relationship with his daughter is also incredibly selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still that character himself hasn't, hasn't gone to the dark side. It's, he's still trying to believe in, in the, the best, he in believes everybody, in people, including himself, but yes. he can't save himself, you know? And That's I do right. feel like That's a lot right. of people are like that, where they sacrifice a lot of themselves to give to other people or maybe to make up for their mistakes and relieve some of their guilt 
you know, it's interesting because obviously there's a lot of Moby Dick Mm -hmm. inspiration in this. And I think that the first thought would be to compare him to Moby Dick, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of the surface level comparison that you don't really want to make. When I watched this, I was like, he's Ahab. Mm -hmm. And Ahab is the villain in Moby Mm -hmm. Dick. And they don't have similar villainous tendencies, but they are both on a stubborn path to self-destruction. Yes. Mm -hmm. And nobody is stopping them. No. And it's upsetting to watch that. But at the same time, I thought, He's Ahab. Like, he is going straight into the ocean, Mm -hmm. no turning back. Mm -hmm. And he's taking everybody with him in a lot of ways. Everybody has to feel that with him on his journey into this this darkness. And you see how this affects everybody else around him, where Mm -hmm. Ahab just brings his whole crew right into the depths of the ocean with him. And that's really sad. Yeah, that's really true. It is sad. Mm -hmm. How did we feel about the other characters in this and their relationships to him? I loved Liz. Mm -hmm. I I thought she was a really great character. The character of Ellie is interesting. Mm -hmm. Ellie is a truth stick. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, but a broken, nasty one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's funny. I was I was actually watching a, a cast interview today and Darren Aronofsky says to Sadie Sink he's like I actually never asked you this do you think she's good or evil and I was like oh I just assumed that she is good and I believe Charlie believing in her but we don't know we actually don't have enough information mm-hmm. and you think um, she is- would have to believe her character was good I think she would have to believe that yes play villains yeah. they they play it yeah. as if they're in the right right you know, for sure doing the right thing Yes, actually, I I saw um, an interview with him where he was talking about um, Ellen Burstyn. Oh, really? Yeah, and he was talking about when they were filming Requiem for a Dream, and he he said, well, you know that she's, like, stupid. And Mm. she corrected him, and she said, she's not stupid. She's simple. Mm. And he said that taught him a lesson that he's Mm. carried forward through his whole career, that, like, an actor has to see... A character they can't just view their character through a negative lens yeah they have to see the complexity of a real yeah. person so but i do think that the character of ellie now yes she's 16 and 16 year olds are terrible but she was like ter- fully terrible yeah. and we get the line even from the mother's character like she's a monster she's a terror and you right. do think maybe she is yeah she says like she's evil evil right <laughs> and you think okay but plenty of people are there's all kinds mm-hmm. of sociopaths and psychopaths um but then you think is this the like is this his fault for abandoning them or the way that he did because you the truth is he did he's a gay man who was closeted with you know uh, a wife and a kid and fell in love with a, another man he really needed to go and do that Mm. and leave them and and go you know follow his heart and actually be gay man he's not doing a service to anybody but clearly he didn't do it in the right way mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you, you can't just abandon and then not talk to your daughter for eight years you know when it comes to the side characters i found that when the focus was taken off charlie i was taken out of the film 
in a mm. lot of ways. And it's not to say that the other characters weren't good. Their scenes were quite well acted. But I feel like when there's a character that's going into like a full self-destruction, especially with his other films, you generally don't leave them. And this oh, film yeah. did leave them um, a couple times when Charlie wasn't even in the scene. And I mm-hmm. feel like it, it did slow the pacing a little bit and the momentum of where the film was going. Even That's though, interesting. Yeah. I, d- I don't agree with that. I think I kind of needed it. It's beca- Especially because it's all set in one apartment and we do have these other characters. In my opinion, I needed to see that, like that scene between Ellie and Thomas, the missionary. That was a a, a really kind of electric scene that yeah. revealed so much about her and how manipulative she is, and yeah. how calculating and intelligent, hyper intelligent, and also revealed about his character. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we wouldn't have been able to see that if if Charlie were there, because mm-hmm. it was the particular dynamic of him being attracted to her that pulled it out. Yeah, and I also, I enjoyed the scene between Liz and Thomas as well because that, it really gets into the backstory and the religious oppression that they've all experienced and suffered from. Well, that was mm-hmm. definitely another theme in this film, yeah. right? Was was surrounding religion and a, and a cri- criticism of religion. But, but also, I think there were moments where, <laughs> there were times where I was like, Jesus, maybe this is what he needs. Like, maybe he does need to be saved in this yeah, last moment. I, I did have moments of wondering what direction it was going to go in because mm-hmm. I assumed it was being critical. But then about halfway through, I was like, is it not going to be? Like, please don't let this be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't want it to go that way. And it doesn't. I, but I do think it gets a little bit disjointed, this film, in terms of what it's trying to say. Um mm. You know, those scenes do add an element of questioning. Do we save people to save people or do we save people for our own selfish reason mm-hmm. reasons? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what we see with these characters is that are they saving Charlie for him or for themselves? Right. You know, is Liz saving yeah. him to save him or to save her brother in a right. way or Thomas mm-hmm. to repent in some way? Mm-hmm. And yeah. she even asked the question, can anyone truly save anybody? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, which is interesting, but also does pose a cynical question at the same time. But, yeah. Well, it's also very real. Like, I mm-hmm. have to say, her character, yeah. as uh, I think anybody who um, s- struggles with a family member or somebody that they love who's going, like, wa- you watch them sort of self-destruct with mm-hmm. addiction, that sentiment is just like very real you could really relate to that character yeah um why don't we get into performances yeah uh (laughs) so uh, brennan frazier all of the conversation right Mm -hmm. he's been cleaning up it started back i think at like the venice film festival probably yeah a lot of hype about his performance in this what did you think about it i think this is one of the most interesting performances i've ever seen I really enjoyed it. I found his performance more interesting than the movie as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just couldn't believe how gentle and and just loving you. F- I I felt towards his character emotionally, but then from the physical side of it, he is really very limited in what he can do in this role physically. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think that he behaved well 
in that sense. Well, so Brendan Fraser has made statements that he like he will not call it a fat suit um, mm-hmm. because the idea of a fat suit has been a punchline. Right. And any criticism of this film, you 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 know, using a, a, a fat suit, it, it this film doesn't do it in the way that Shallow the 90s did, did it. Oh, yeah, God, like no. it's the punchline in those films. And, Absolutely. you know, Monica in a fat suit, that's the joke. Right. The joke that she was fat. That's it. Yeah. Right. That's all it is. <laughs> you know, yeah. so this movie does not do that at all. No. And so I, I mean, I don't really think that it can it can be compared to the way that it's been used in the past. So what's the, is the controversy just that he's wearing a fat suit and mm-hmm. and that um, makes it a punchline? Okay, but that's just not it. That's, that's not what not this true. is. <laughs> oh, okay. And they've stood behind that. Brendan Fraser has stood behind that. Darren yeah, Aronofsky has stood I, behind I, yeah. That that's not what well, they're doing here. Yeah, Sinclair, and also, you know, it was. In terms of performance, like you said, Helen, like he w- this was not digital, right? No. This was all completely like five hours intense prosthetics, yeah. all really, really like heavy, hundreds of pounds yeah. of it. It's yeah. really intense. But well, because from- there's also sorry, just one other thing. It's the way that he's breathing mm-hmm. and speaking. Mm-hmm. That I mean, I, I it sounds like what he was wearing was heavy and it was physically challenging to carry that. But I think there is an element of acting that goes into the way that you speak, the way that you breathe is going to be different. And Mm -hmm. like, it's those little things that I was like, wow, this is, it's just a very full performance. And Uh, I think that sometimes the actor themselves is right for the role because of the actor. mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time when that, when it's, when you really nail it, Mm -hmm. when it's like a moment, even like Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler, you know? Yeah. We, this is a redemption story and this is a redemption story for Brendan Fraser. Yeah. He was he was somebody who we all knew in the 90s. He had a lot yeah. of hit films, but they were not they were not critically acclaimed really. And so when the audience sees him, we're already rooting for him. Right. And he as a person is famously very warm and mm-hmm. that comes through this character, uh, this performance, the vulnerability, the yeah. optimism he gave it everything and he was also funny like there yeah. was actual comedy in this too but that line near the end when he says I need to know I've done one thing right in my yeah. life yeah, that was like literally soul destroying like I, I gasped and I sobbed mm-hmm. and this isn't an original line we've heard this line said before countless times in films but in this film with the context of this man's story yeah. and with that gutter punch delivery from Brandon yeah. Frazier it was devastating yeah really really yeah I was sobbing at the end of this and it was all Mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. (laughs) it hadn't been the film really leading up Mm. it was all him at the end yeah (laughs) I also thought that Hong Chao was fantastic me too I really felt for her we she expressed all of that mix of sort of anguish and helplessness and grief and frustration that we talked about people it's recognizable to people dealing with someone who's destroying themselves right the only performance in this movie that didn't work for me was Samantha Morton I agree. It was, it felt performative. It felt like over the top. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. what are you doing? <laughs> I agree. And I was really surprised because she's an ex- an incredible actress. I know. Mm-hmm. 
I felt that was yeah. I felt I completely agree. I was like, oh, weird. It felt really big. It felt it was too big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To and me, it, it just felt like another character just walking through the door yeah. and yeah. being like, I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, so how about in terms of technical? So, what did we think about the score? The score was it. The score moved me. It, yeah. it, I mean, it did. That combined with Brendan Fraser, I was sobbing at the end. And it was a combination of the two. Like, I know I said it was all Brendan Fraser, but it really was that <laughs> mixed with the score. Same. I, I The score, it, like, it's really melodramatic and over the yeah. top. Mm. But it worked for me. Yeah, and- it actually worked for me, too. And I don't like to be mm. emotionally manipulated, but I, I actually was, if that was well, the intention. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, like, we're dealing with big themes here. There's yeah. literally life and death, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think it's okay that it's there. It's also Aronofsky. Like, yeah. he lives for those big scores. Yeah, Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan. And it's always like, a big ending. It's a big mm-hmm. finale. Yes. Yeah, I felt that his home felt very nautical. It had yep. this, like, claustrophobic feeling of being on a, on a ship, like, below oh, deck. Interesting. With the little bit of light oh, shining the through and, the rain yeah. and then also like the bluish gray color palette. Like it felt because this has such nautical Moby Dick inspiration. Yeah. It did. It did feel like that in the set design. That's really mm. cool. I mm-hmm. didn't clock that. I definitely clocked the sort of claustrophobia of it, but I didn't clock that. And I love mm. that. I, it mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. All right. What's the last word on the whale? Edison? So... When this film ended, I went to see it with my friend Shani, and there were probably 16 people in the theater, and nobody moved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the credits started to roll, and it was at least 30 seconds to 45 seconds before one couple got up and walked out. Yeah. And then everybody else sat there, I swear to you, for at least two minutes. No one moved. Yeah. And I think we were all just shook (laughs) like I was this film moved me yeah I had to sit with it to see whether how I felt about it Mm -hmm. but I really really loved the performance uh and I thought it was a really indelible character Mm -hmm. that was portrayed here yeah What, what was your last word Helen well, I had the opposite reaction where I got out of my seat immediately, but that's because my theater was so hot. I had to get out of there. <laughs> uh, but no, I felt the same way. I felt I felt very moved and I needed time to digest it and consider everything that it presented. And I really enjoyed actually reading the play today. And I'm going to be gunning for Brennan Fraser to win Best Actor. Same. I think oh, God, this yeah. is my favorite performance, male performance of the year. Yeah. Same. Sinclair? Yeah, he is really great in this. I think that there's some really good themes in in this film. I do think that the script is a little bit uneven and unfocused mm. in parts. And it it does it the film did feel a bit stagey at times, mm-hmm. but you know, overall Brendan Fraser is so great. I could see why people are really excited for him. And this kind of had the same effect on me that the father did where I wasn't fully into the film, but I was, you know, bawling my eyes out at the end to Anthony Hopkins' performance. Yeah. Brendan Fraser had that same effect on me. Next up, we journey to College on the Hill in Ohio, circa 1984. Here we meet Jack Gladney, played by Adam Driver, 
a professor of Hitler studies, which is a field he proudly founded. <laughs> Jack is married to Babette, played by Greta Gerwig, and together they have a gaggle of neurotic children, some from their union and others from previous unsuccessful marriages. Jack spends his days teaching and intellectualizing the notorious Fuhrer's great influence and having academic dance-offs with his friend and colleague Murray, played by Don Cheadle. But all does not stay peaceful in Jack's bubble of academia. An airborne toxic event unexpectedly spreads its poisonous plumage through the idyllic town, causing Jack and his contemporaries to question just how safe they are in their highbrow haven. As Jack comes to terms with his new toxic exposure, his fear of death takes center stage, causing upheaval and mayhem for himself and his family. White Noise is director Noah Baumbach's newest feature film, based off of Don DeLillo's absurdist postmodern novel of the same name, from 1985. It takes us back to a time when consumerism was at its peak. Satanic panic fueled nightmares, and man-made disasters and kidnapping permeated from television sets. White Noise asks the question, when the bright colors of Tide detergent bottles fade, when overstocked Campbell's soup shelves become bare, the lights from appliance stores and television sets start to dim, the promise of miracle drugs become glaring placebos, and we are left with the haunting static of stillness. Is our own mortality the hardest pill for us to swallow? Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, so first impression of white noise, Edison. Why don't Why don't you go first? Okay, so this film opens with Don Cheadle giving a lecture at what I assume is a film school, and it's about car crashes in film, and he's speaking to these students in an auditorium in front of a screen, showing all these movie car crashes, and. He, he's already you, you're like oh this is a character mm-hmm. and the lecture is about how these crashes actually represent American optimism because right. they keep evolving and getting better and better and better and more complex each time each each film ups the ante on the car crash and levels up the achievement and I actually kind of thought it was a, a cool lecture and I thought it was fun and I love Don Cheadle um, and, but this is like uh, he's like dialed it up so I was kind of like okay let's see where this goes interesting it was a little more kitschy i guess Mm. than i was expecting from a noah bombback film right off the top Mm -hmm. but i also enjoyed it how about you helen (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i did text you guys in the beginning of this movie to say that it was insufferable (laughs) um i found the beginning of this movie to be very inaccessible maybe that's a better way to say it it is throwing a lot at you And it feels almost like you're getting stream of consciousness from every character, Mm -hmm. which is a lot. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't latch on to it. So in the beginning when I, yeah, the beginning of this movie, I just was like, I, what the fuck do I do with this? Mm -hmm. Where do I put my attention? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I found it a hard, I found it hard to gain an entry point into this film Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Sinclair. Yeah. This film starts with, Murray he's teaching a class about car crashes and movies and you know how not to look at these crashes as as examples of violence but of a representation of American optimism and (laughs) just this idea and the tone in which Don 
Cheadle is delivering this lecture, right off the bat, you see that this is an absurdist film. Mm-hmm. What he's saying is completely ludicrous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is a commentary on us as well because we all know that we watch car crashes because we can't look away. And that's mm-hmm. why we right. do it. And even if they're violent, we we still want to mm-hmm. look. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it is a way that we can spin things and, and justify our voyeurism Mm-hmm. And how we can intellectualize these things. And the way he is saying this in the classes is, is funny. He, he says, you might say, but what about all that blood and glass? The screeching rubber, the crushed bodies, the severed limbs. What kind of optimism is this? Past the violence, I say, there is a wonderful brimming spirit of innocence and fun. Yeah. And yeah. then it cuts to... <laughs> white noise and I I actually I really liked this opening because I think that this is already setting up the tone and and setting up the Mm -hmm. themes that white noise is about Mm -hmm. okay so I'm really interested in that so let's get into the storytelling because uh, before seeing this film I knew I mean I knew literally nothing about it again um (laughs) Sinclair though you had mentioned that you read the book and not only have you read it but that you it's one of your favorites this is one of my favorite novels for sure um, yeah so what did you think of this adaptation from the because it's it's been said that this film is unadapt or that the book was unadaptable yeah that it's just like an unfilmable thing yeah my f- dear friend and our friend nada g- gave me this book oh, okay. and she said i think that you'll really like this book it's philosophical and it's all about death so it was right right it was a present from her uh but this book it's from 1985 and it is very much representative of that time it's a postmodern novel and Mm. these novels tend to be very absurd they're very satirical and there's political subjects in there that are being critiqued and explored in a self-reflective way but also in a humorous way Mm -hmm. and I think that the 80s has so much consumerism and anxieties that it makes for really good material for a postmodern novel. Yes. But at the same time, these novels tend to be hard to film because they're completely absurd and their tones are all over the Mm -hmm. place and they follow a very unorthodox structure. So like other writers from this time that did that, like Kurt Vonnegut, um, mm-hmm. Thomas Pynchon he wrote in Hair Advice mm-hmm. and that's another one that mm-hmm. is like what the fuck and then you see the movie and you're like what the fuck so <laughs> I do think that this genre is something you're either going to turn off right away close the book right away push aside right. and never look at again or you're going to be here for it mm-hmm. and I think that this movie is a good adaptation of the book it stays pretty true to the book and it, that's what this book is it's completely mm. absurd mm-hmm. and i think it's a matter of are you going to be down with it or not mm. and you were down with it i was down with it but i have i that i love that novel and i truly truly understand that novel it's mm. something that hits quite deeply with me so i right. didn't have a hard time with this movie because i knew right. exactly what it was saying and I don't oh, know totally. what it would be like to watch it without knowing the novel. 
Oh, well, I mean, I feel like the you get what the film is saying. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the themes of, like, how death and how we're driven by fear and how our subconscious is affected by media is all evident. Um, I was just mostly curious if you... Because often, you know, when you love a book... Mm. And it's adapted into a film. Yeah. It's really difficult. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. So the the film is broken up into three acts. We have Waves and Radiation, The Airborne Toxic Event, and then Dialorama. So Waves and Radiation was the most difficult section of this film for me. Mm-hmm. Once we got into The Airborne Toxic Event, I, I understood the tone more of this movie like it took me that first third to like settle into my seat <laughs> in a sense. I like I was just, it was so hard to follow and there's so much going on and, and everything was just sort of flying by me. And I'm like, where am I? What is happening? And, but uh, we get that anchor of the event and then it's all started to fall into place. So I didn't enjoy the beginning of this film, but as a whole, I actually quite liked it. And I found the themes really interesting. I mean, we've got two movies on this episode that are very much about mortality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, presented in different ways. I feel similarly like when this, I can get on board with an absurdist type mm-hmm. of film. It wasn't what I was expecting. Well, and it's also not Noah Baumbach style at all. At all. So that's why I wasn't expecting that going into it. So I yeah. did find it a little jarring right at, at the top. Like it mm-hmm. kind of opens in their house and they're rushing around. And my first thought, Everyone's honestly, and... I was like, oh my God, I am obsessed with that wallpaper. <laughs> I want this huge, big old home. I want five kids. And then I was like, there must be like a literal talking track laid on top of this because it sounds like there's 700 voices mm-hmm. occurring right now and not just the six people in the house. And the dialogue, yeah, it's very affected. It's really overwritten. The The characterizations are a lot. Um, but once you're just like, okay, that's what it is, then I loved this. And the tonal shifts that this film takes, mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was fun. Like, mm-hmm. I loved going into that Spielberg adventure in the second half. <laughs> yeah. Or in the, in the second act, you know, running from the thing. And it, right. And, and then I loved how it suddenly became this, like, kind of weird psychological horror or something right. in the last part. Cool. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of humor in this movie. I think one of my favorite moments is when they are at Camp Daffodil or whatever it's called. And Jack has to go up and talk to one of the organizers because he was exposed to the toxic event. And uh, he asks what his band on his arm means. And it's, oh, simulated evacuation. And he's saying, well, this is not a simulated. And the guy was like, yeah, we thought it would be good practice (laughs) (laughs) to work a real evacuation for our simulated evacuation. Like moments like that where like the it's very meta and the film kind of flips on itself. I found I really appreciated. I thought they were actually quite funny. Yeah. I I don't know. I think it makes complete sense why Noah Baumbach would want to adapt this. Mm -hmm. Um, He loves doing movies about highbrow intellectuals. Right. You know, and it's interesting because he pokes fun at them, but at the same time is them. Right. You know, totally. lovingly this pokes fun at them. Honestly, like a lot of characters in this remind me of characters in The Squid and the Whale, the yeah. Jeff Daniels character. Yeah, and yeah, the kids yeah. remind me of the kids in The Squid and the Whale with Jesse Eisenberg and Owen Klein. Like, 
the neurotic family unit is something that he does quite well. I think the novel is a lot more dry and it's way more dense than this Mm. movie. But I feel this movie did a good job keeping a little bit of a lighter tone because I I think that you have to do that to adapt this a bit because the book is quite dry. It's totally such a strange film because you do get all these bright 80s colors and this fast talk and Mm. all the you know television programs and and everything is larger than life and so full of excess and then the story like hits you with these really deep hard to answer questions like the question they ask themselves when they're lying in bed when they say who mm-hmm, who's mm-hmm. going to die first like who do you want yeah. to die first yeah. that is the hardest thing to think about right because if it's you and a loved one beside you you realize that only one of you is going to have to experience it right and it's these kind of questions that are mixed in with such absurdity that mm-hmm. just hits you in a very specific way yeah yeah i will say if if there was something that didn't necessarily work for me, it wasn't the more sort of abstract, theoretical, sort of philosophical questions. That works because I think that that, mm. that actually kind of lends itself to absurdity in a way, or absurdism mm-hmm. in a way. But it was more their like actual relational dynamics between mm. him and Greta Gerwig's character. Babette. Or their, Babette, yeah. <laughs> that element of it, ah. Uh, and I don't know whether it was just the dialogue or the performances, but I wasn't drawn to that. I didn't really believe mm. that part as much. Yeah. This gave me Wes Anderson-y vibes. Mm-hmm. And it gave me J.D. Salinger vibes mm. as well. J.D. Salinger often writes, again, about like intellectual families. Mm-hmm. And I love Salinger. He's one of my favorite authors. So once I realized what this movie was doing, I actually like did quite enjoy it, but it took me, it took me a good 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this also pokes fun at intellectuals and academia and, you know, professors wanting to have a unique and novel course that students can take. And, you know, the fact that he has this Hitler study course and then Murray wants to have this Elvis course and then mm-hmm. they have this I would lo- I was like I want a Whitney course I could right. do a Whitney yeah. course. <laughs> but they're always trying to come up with these you know new novel courses that people want to mm-hmm. take and it becomes this like cerebral pissing contest and <laughs> it's this crit- criticism of like western intellectuals and how these, these professors don't ever feel what it feels like to be fully immersed in mm. the impact that p- these people actually had. You know, mm. he teaches a class about Hitler, but he but doesn't he know German. German. And yeah. he'll never mm. be fully immersed in, in what that was like to go through. You know, right. he can only stay in this like bubble of academia. And... My favorite line in the book, and and I'm so happy that they put this in the movie, is when he's talking about how experiencing disaster is only meant for the poor and uneducated. It's not meant for Mm -hmm. someone who has studied and been to Mm -hmm. university. He says society is set up 
in a certain way where he shouldn't experience disaster. Hmm. And it is this, it's this protective layer that we have, this us and them mentality Hmm. that when something does happen, you say, this isn't supposed to happen to me. (laughs) You know? It's so true. That's so true. One of the lines that I really loved when Jack and Murray are walking through the grocery store and Murray's commenting on why he why Jack would want to study Hitler and teach Hitler and he says the overwhelming horror would leave no room for your own death Mm -hmm. and I think that does speak to our fascination with true crime catastrophes like things that are so horrible that we would never want to experience but somehow secondhand experiencing it like makes us feel better mm-hmm. well, it allows the we're you afraid to, of. yeah it allows you to have a sort of a vicarious adjacent experience yeah. whilst being completely safe and sure of your own you know life mm-hmm. your own mortality not being threatened yeah yeah and i think that is interesting like this this film is all about that and literally babette's entire thing is <laughs> you, her her crippling fear of death well, it's also her role in the relationship, too, goes against what he needs her for. Like he says, mm. I'm I, my fear of death. It's me. I'm the one right. that's the fear. I have the fear. You're supposed to be like, the happy one. Like you're supposed right. to be balancing you are joyful. me out. That is the purpose of Babette. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, yeah. Babette is dealing with it in her own way. Like our fear of death, it, it manifests in in different ways whether it's shopping online or you know Babette reads occult books to try to understand you know I like when it says when people are are helpless and scared they're drawn to magical mythic figures epic men Mm -hmm. who intimidate you know we're kind Mm -hmm. of drawn to the study of these things well and that's what's kind of interesting is because this film you know despite being based on source material from 1985 uh, there's elements that particular quote made me think of Donald Trump mm-hmm. uh, the obviously you know the plague made me think how yeah. would you not think of COVID of course, it's yeah. happening right now um, it's so it was also weirdly very timely yeah mm-hmm. yeah totally I think that this came out at a really interesting time having just gone through COVID I think yeah. that the these parallels are you know very obvious you can't help but be reflective of our experience as well and it started the same way we were like that's not gonna come Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. we all did it that's not gonna reach us well i did well except edison edison's like it's coming (laughs) 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 um but even the inconsistency of information and how it didn't seem like a a threat like the airborne event starts as this like plumage in the sky uh-huh. and they change and the, then it becomes this the poisonous cloud yeah. at the end yeah. and you know not knowing the long-term effects of yeah. a vaccine or you know mm-hmm. this you know events radiation it's it it feels different but all very much the same yes yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah okay what do we think about performances for me Adam Driver, the last time we talked about him in a film, was it? Marriage Story, probably. No, it was The Last Duel or it was House of Gucci. Both, oh, both of those. Both. And I think House of Gucci was more recent than Last Duel. Yeah, and I remember saying, like, <laughs> I feel like he's just dialing it in. 
and mm. I really like Adam Driver. And in both of those cases, I was like, "What? What is it? Like he's he's just well, dialing it in." Those are just dumb roles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you but felt like he, he dialed it in in this one. No. Oh, okay, yeah. good. Was I was gonna, I fully, was gonna say fully committed no. performance. <laughs> this made me be like, "Yes, okay. this mm-hmm. is why I love Adam Driver." Mm-hmm. I thought he was like exceptional in this. In in a lot of scenes, it, throughout the entire thing, but like very specifically like that that dual lecture sort of like yeah. lecture off yeah, yeah. scene with <laughs> him and Cheadle when he takes over and does, gives that Hitler monologue and the crowd about the crowds and why they're there this tribute to death it was a truly fucking epic monologue uh-huh. and like I, I just thought that was so good he was yeah. so good yeah I thought he was really good as well both him and Greta Gerwig I think are actually perfect for these parts they're very similar actors. Mm-hmm. They're both a little bit offbeat. They're both quite dry in their deliveries. And so I thought that they worked really well in Jack and Babette's roles. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, was... I think he was good in this. I think he's too young. He's like a little bit oh. too young. Okay. But they kind of just gave him a little like gray streak in his hair. And, and a little <laughs> pot belly. Pot belly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he like physically looks a little too young, but he did capture who this person was really well. So that didn't bother me as much. And this mm-hmm. is not an easy that this isn't an easy role for somebody no. to play. Um, I, it's a really fully like embodied, very physically demanding role. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig was she was great, too, because she's quirky and she's smart, but she's also very emotional as well. Yeah. And she gave this a lot of a lot of depth and, and dynamics. The mm. scene where she tells him that she's been essentially having an affair, I actually found that scene really moving. Yeah, it kind of went back to like marriage story. It was that yeah. like, that scene was the most Noah Baumbach I felt like because it kind of moved away from it all for a moment, and it was like mm-hmm. watching marriage story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. See, I disagree. Yeah, you didn't like, like that. Um, See that? I didn't necessarily mm. like it. I thought again, this was where the the sort of affected dialogue mm. worked against the authenticity of that moment. Okay. And yeah. and I di- her performance didn't really work for me either. Oh, interesting. Uh, throughout the whole film, I did love her '90s Nicole Kidman hair, mm. um, <laughs> yeah. but and like she's a great actor, obviously. But I just didn't. I don't know. It wasn't really working mm. for me in yeah. the same way. If, as far as technical goes, I will say that that like giant cloud mm. storm with the purple lightning and the purple, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going into a Noah Baumbach film expecting really cool sort of visual effects yeah, in this fair. capacity. <laughs> um, but it was genuinely terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like I thought it was horrifying and I thought, okay, what the fuck would I do if I was in driving and with my family on this road? Like it was mm-hmm. a, a little like disaster movie moment. That I know. Worked really worked i thought that that was neat the production design was great mm-hmm. i love this little town i love their house it was so every detail was so meticulous and well thought out and lived in mm-hmm. yeah i watched a little interview with the production and set designers for this movie and just the attention to detail that they put into the 80s of it all yes. the grocery uh, store the, the grocery store yeah they built that inside of an abandoned Home Depot, I believe. Oh, amazing. And, you know, just having all of the labels of all the food from that time and um, all the colors and yeah. uh, the organized chaos of the house that they live in. Like, I, that was all really well done. Yeah. And then the dance at the end. Yeah. I mean, that's not in the book. That's something that 
was in the film, but I kind of liked it. I kind of liked that. I liked it too, and I love the song. Yeah, it's like you're kind of home in the grocery store. It's like everything kind of makes sense in the grocery store, you know? You can kind of hide your fears. You have a job you have to do there. When you're there, you're on a Mm -hmm. mission. And there's like hope in the grocery store, (laughs) you know? So I like that they ended it on that. Well, and it it did also make me think when Marie is talking about how like the grocery store is okay, therefore everything's going to be okay. Yeah, right, exactly. it's the home. And base. it made me, yeah. and it made me think about COVID when the grocery store wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, what do you do when the aisles there wasn't are empty. anything on the shelves? Like mm-hmm. that's actually fucking terrifying. Yeah. And it's very, it's a very true point. Yeah, life is you good know? when there's uh, stock shelves. shelves. It's, a, it's yeah. a, it signifies how we're doing. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. All right, what is the last word on white noise, Sinclair? Yeah, I I honestly think that this is a good shot at adapting this. It's, this is what this is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those movies that is all over the place and knows that's what it is and has to be. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that this will be for everybody. And I think that that's what makes it accurate. (laughs) <laughs> in that yeah. regard so uh it, it worked for me but it, it won't be for everyone for me uh, the last word is i enjoyed this film i had fun watching it once i sort of settled settled into the tempo of it and and the style i i appreciated its take on these sort of existential crises uh that we have or that we that we grapple with in our life I it didn't hit home emotionally for me. I wasn't necessarily moved by the story or by the characters, but I did enjoy watching it. Yeah. How about you, Helen? Yeah, I didn't expect to be saying this, but it's it's one of the more enjoyable Noah Baumbach films. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting to have that opinion, but um after I, you know, settled into this movie, I actually I I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. It had a lot of interesting things to say. Nice. All right. Well, this has been another double feature from Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you'd like to become a Patreon member, head on over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome. Thank you. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Thanks. Ugh. <laughs>